and welcome to a one-week review edition of the Wolves After Dark podcast. I'm here with Alex. This is Zach coming to you talking about what we've seen so far from the Wolves in three games thus far. Obviously, a much better performance on Tuesday for the home opener. However, Memphis basically ran out their D-League team. No Conley, no Gasol, no Chandler Parsons, no chance for the Grizzlies team. Alex, uh, what have you seen so far? What have you uh, liked? What have you not liked? Well, first and foremost, we got to enjoy the fact that, you know, despite the the lack of star talent on Memphis, we did get a win, which was huge, um, and they did exactly what they should have done. If they had come out there and laid an egg against a Grizzlies team without Mike Conley, without Marc Gasol, and you end up losing that game, you're going to look pretty poor. So the fact that they were able to go out there, dominate the way that they did, they dominated too, which I thought was most important, through all four quarters, which we have not seen from them yet in the first two games. So that was what I was really most impressed with was the fact that they, they put it all together. Part of it, yes, due to the fact that, you know, Grizzlies had a depleted roster, but also due to the fact they were probably playing at home, had that energy going for them there. Um, but but we got a good win there to start the season, and now we just got to carry through tonight. And, you know, the obvious talking points, especially in games one and two, is that they played well for, I think, six out of eight quarters, and they really just melted down in the third quarter of each game, uh, including a 24-1 to run for the Sacramento Kings on Saturday night. You know, interestingly, Sacramento has actually played quite well against relevant teams. I think they, they're either two and three or three and two, but they've been right there with uh, solid teams. They blew out the Suns on night number one. DeMarcus Cousins has been one of the best players in the NBA thus far during the young season. And I mean, they have they really took care of Memphis at Memphis uh, last Thursday, and they looked quite good against uh, Sacramento for three out of four quarters. It's just been those mental lapses that they didn't have. And, you know, I'm not going to draw many conclusions off of Tuesday night Uh, going forward. It'll be a much better indication of what they actually representative when they play against teams that have their full lineup. And that this is what we said uh, might be the problem with Memphis when we looked at them in the preseason is that they've got a lot of talent on their team, but their talent is old, older aging, oft hurt. We were the beneficiaries of that on Tuesday, and it'll be interesting to see going forward. I mean, there are things that we can get excited about. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Rubio's injury, and that's one thing that we are not necessarily so excited about. But they shot well when they had open shots. Levine looks smooth like he's in his own. Wiggins is getting to the line 10 times per game. That's fifth best in the NBA behind only guys like Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, James Harden, and uh, Russell Westbrook. Westbrook is, by the way, doing exactly what we thought he would. He's shooting about a bazillion times, but he's also averaging 36 points and a triple-double, which is absolutely incredible. He'll be fun to watch all year, and he goes and plays Golden State this week, so that'll be something to watch. But it comes down to a couple key things. One, what is this team going to look like with Chris Dunn now manning the ship as Rubio misses probably a couple weeks? You know, just from the mechanism of that fall, he did fall in a way that, you know, there's no breaks. It doesn't look like there's any acute tears. But that did look like an Olecranon or UCL injury. That's an el- a classic elbow sprain. Usually will take a couple weeks and, you know, the parting shot will be, well, maybe it'll fix his shot. But, you know, he's still got to be able to dribble and sling passes all around. What do you what do you hope that they can improve on necessarily going forward in the next couple games? What do you want to see from them against a more representative squad in Denver, uh, Denver tonight and then going forward uh, this weekend and going into next week? Well, for tonight, uh, you know, Denver... Th- They've got a lot of they got a lot of talent. Um, you know they're not the they're not going to be a, a playoff contender this season, and, and everyone's aware of that. Um, but they've got a lot of young talent. They got some pretty you know good pieces there. Obviously, uh, you know Jamal Murray is a fantastic young guard there. They got him in the draft. Everyone thought the Wolves were going to take him, but you know they ended up taking Chris Dunn instead. Uh, Emmanuel Mudiay, he is he is a a stud at point guard there. So I mean Wilson Chandler's solid. You've got Nurkic, Nurkic, excuse me. Um, you, you've got all these guys on there that, that can play, and they're playing at a decent level so far, you know. So 
tonight will be a good good challenge for the Wolves. Um, but I think the biggest challenge is going to be Saturday night going to OKC, taking on Russ Westbrook there and that that really dangerous, really dangerous OKC squad there. So if if they can, you know, obviously get the win tonight against against Denver and then head in and play a competitive game against OKC, just hold their own. You know, obviously I, I don't think a lot of people are going to pick the pick them to win Saturday night, but uh, if they can get in there and hold their own then that would be a good start, you know. But the biggest thing I want to see them improve on uh, right off the bat is just just continuing to close. And that was the one thing that we saw in the first two games was they played inconsistent games. They they had quarters where they just disappeared offensively and defensively. And then we got a glimpse of it Tuesday night. The only reason why I'm not sold on it just yet is because, you know, like we've discussed now, Memphis did not have their full squad out there. So if Denver can, you know, roll out their full squad and they can play a full four quarters tonight against Denver, then that will be a, a huge jump forward heading into Saturday night against OKC. Well, in those uh, those third quarter lapses, they're a bit of a hallmark of a young team, I think. And even that OKC team that had that was in uh, Durant's third year, Westbrook's second year, that went from 22 wins to 50 wins, through games, game about 35 or 40, they were still a 500 club. They were blowing big leads. They were having some growing pains. I think the Wolves, we're going to see that in the Wolves going forward here. Tibbs' schemes are a little more complex than we've seen in the past, and I know that that's kind of a revolving point we've made here but they really are a little bit more team oriented they're they're based on concepts rotations playing team defense and certain sets on offense so we're going to see that come together as we go along one thing tonight against Denver I think it's going to be interesting because Denver does have a lot of depth they don't have a lot of great depth I mean I I like to joke that they have the KGB or Pekovic Jr. and Pekovic the third and Nurkic and Jokic but that size is going to be an interesting matchup to see if the Wolves can defend because Cousins gave them so much trouble on Saturday night. It's going to be interesting to see if they can continue to guard physical physical players down low like those two can. Moutier versus Dunn is going to be a nice matchup of young guards, young, strong, athletic guards right away. And I'm kind of glad that Dunn is starting so we can get to see that matchup in, in all its glories. But I do think on the wing, uh, Levine matches up well with uh, Wilson Chandler and uh, Wiggins absolutely matches up well with Gallinari. I think he's just going to take him tonight. Uh, Gallinari's a nice offensive player, but Wiggins is going to go right around him, right through him on defense. Uh, they do bring good guys off the bench. Fareed is playing kind of a pseudo or a hybrid bench role. I think he's starting, but he's playing more uh, reserve minutes. And then Will Barton. Will Barton's uh, he was in contention for six man of the year. I know he didn't end up winning it last year, but it'll be nice to see how he matches up with guys like Brandon Rush won't necessarily guard him, but he will guard Brandon Rush a little bit. Uh, how Shabazz Muhammad can probably guard him, lock him up. So it's going to be interesting to go depth versus depth, see where the second unit of the Wolves really stacks up, get a good idea of that. In terms of OKC, I'm very excited to see, uh, again, Russell Westbrook against Chris Dunn on that night as well. And after that, I think uh, Levine-Oladipo matchup will be fun in that Oladipo is more of a defensive-oriented guy. Levine is an offensive guy, so it'll be a clash of styles. And then Wiggins is absolutely—it's Wiggins versus Roberson, and I think that's where they can take advantage of him. I'm sure Wiggins won't end up guarding Roberson. He'll end up guarding Oladipo or something like that. But, uh, you know, a couple of uh, interesting matchups coming up, and then we can go into next week with a much better sense of where we are. I mean, there are encouraging signs as well from just these three games and that— Things like Wiggins is shooting 57% from three-point land, and he's shooting two a game, so it's not like he's hit two out of threes or anything like that. He's got a relevant sample size to actually say that he's shooting well. And I think Towns is going to keep improving as he gets more comfortable with teams doubling him on every possession, bringing attention to him, focusing their game plans on him. I mean, he's shooting 46% from the field. Uh, He's shooting only 57% from the foul line, which we were talking about before we were recording here. That's going to come up. He was almost 80% in college in last year. 
he'll be just fine there. Interestingly, his free throw percentage and his uh, three-point percentage are just about 20 percentage points apart. If that's going to come up. Chris Dunn is continue to get, are going to continue to get more comfortable. In terms of guys you want to see pick it up a little bit, who are you looking at as guys that will be crucial, especially as Rubio comes out now as being cruxes to how they're going to play better uh, one through eight, one through nine uh, in the next week or so. I mean, you touched on it there. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is he hasn't started the season, you know, at the MVP level that some people thought he was going to just jump out to. Me. Um, and, and that's fine. He doesn't have to because he's had, you know, he's obviously got a very strong supporting cast there, Wiggins and Levine and Gorgie Jang, by the way. Can we just, can we admire what Gorgie Jang has done this season here? He has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, the fact that he's got, he's shooting 64% from the floor right now. Now, granted, his sample size, pretty good. But that um, mid-range jump shot has been smooth. It, that been, does, it doesn't look like a fluke. It just, yeah. maybe it will come back. I don't see it coming back. He's knocking it down with purity all over the place. It is, and it's that it, it's anywhere from, you know, we'll say 15 to 18 feet. He just hits it every single time, and it's it's been impressive to watch. So uh, we, do, we, have, we haven't seen the best of Carl Anthony Towns yet, and he talked about it in practice the other day too, and something that, you know, he hasn't seen much yet is – a lot of defenders, and we saw it on Tuesday night against Memphis, where they, they have a guy guarding him down low, and they bring a guy over the top to guard him as well, and they double-team him that way. And that's something that he hasn't quite figured out yet, and that's something that he's continuing to work on. And he you know, he obviously took that upon himself. He's, he says he's going to get better at it. He says he's going to recognize it more. He says that that's the biggest thing that he needs to do is recognize it when it's going to happen so that he can get rid of the ball. You know, and I mean, his passing has already been fantastic this season. Um you look at his assist numbers right now, he's sitting at four, oh, just over four a game. I mean, that's that's very good for a big man. So, you know, if, if, if we can continue to see him grow and continue to see him get better, given the different looks that people are going to be giving him, then, then the Wolves will be just fine. Uh, as far as improvement, we'll say off the bench, uh, Nemanja Bialica, uh, if, if, if he is anywhere, I guess, if we can kind of see the, the, the end of the 2015 season, uh, that would be awesome because we have not not seen much out of him yet this year, uh, averaging just three points. I mean, he, uh, you know, he he's definitely definitely got to pick it up defensively. He's looked lost at times. That's something that we didn't really see from him last season. Um, so there's there's areas like that where he can get better, and obviously that will come to as he gets more comfortable in Tibbs' system. So you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna write anybody off just yet because it has only been three games, but. Uh, just guys like that, we, we'd like to see just a little bit more out of them moving forward. And I want to touch on uh, the Carl Anthony Towns double team and offensive schemes a little bit in just a second here. But regarding a couple of things that you said, it's interesting. The dichotomy with Wiggins is that he's still not getting a lot of assist numbers. His assist to turnover ratio is still uh, 0.5, which means he's committing twice as many turnovers as assists, obviously. But he is getting to the line 10 times. He's being incredibly aggressive on offense, and he's shooting the ball well. And so if his... His job was never to necessarily get assists. His job was to be a volume scorer, a guy who we were hoping would get more efficient in his scoring, and he's absolutely done that. Outside of maybe, you know, he's shooting 70% from the line. We're still hoping that that increases. That seems like a confidence thing, though, because he's hitting that pull-up shot from the same range every single time. It's just when he gets to the free-throw line and takes that deep breath that he seems to be clanking it off the back iron. So I think as he gets more confidence, gets more reps in practice, he'll be fine there. Tibbs seems like he can get through mindset-wise. Yeah, and I mean, he he did have good assist numbers on Tuesday night. I mean, four assists, it's not, obviously, it's not where we want him to be. But, I mean, that's a good start, especially coming off a game in Sacramento where he scores 29 and he has no assists. 
I mean, the fact that he goes 17 points, four assists next game, I mean, that's that's a good sign. It's improving, again, against a depleted Memphis roster, but those four assists are huge, so we'll, we'll kind of take what we can get with him moving forward, at least assist-wise. Absolutely with you on that. I So much so that I tweeted, hey, assist for Andrew Riggins, and when he got the uh, second one right after that, I said, two in a row! Uh, so, I mean, it was exciting. It'll be interesting to see against uh, Denver, who kind of runs around on defense, if he can keep up the track. And that sort of things. I'm not real worried about Wiggins. I know that it was a big harping on previous podcasts about him getting involved in the in the uh, rotation of the ball and that sort of thing. But I think that'll come as time goes along. And if he's scoring with this efficiency, I'm not really all that worried. And his rebounding numbers are at least respectable. He's up to uh, 3.7. I think we said as long as he's over 3.5, we were okay with that for the first half of the year, hopefully elevating as he continues to get more uh, yep. responsible on defense. Yep. So uh, generally speaking, although the numbers are a little bit uh, hit or miss in the free throw and assist categories, I'm okay with what Andrew Wiggins has done so far. Actually, I'm quite encouraged by what he's done uh, scoring the ball, and he's been much more uh, responsible on his defensive rotations and that sort of thing. Uh, Levine, I mean, he's been outstanding. I, I really think that he's been in the flow of the offense. He's able to. He's the guy that right now they're going to when they need a shot late in the shot clock. They can run him off a pick and roll. Uh, pick and roll with he and Carl Anthony Towns is exciting right now because either of them can go all the way to the basket or step out all the way to three point range. So that'll be something to continue to watch going forward. On the Manuel Bielitsa, his statistics they're reflective of terrible play, which there certainly have been moments of. It, he he seems to be more confident within at least more confident in the scheme of both the offensive and defensive end. He got a, a key block on a rotation in the Sacramento game. He's driving to the basket a little bit with confidence, putting his body into guys which he never did last year at any point, even in his better stretches. You know, he's still not shooting the ball well necessarily. He has dumb mental lapses where it just seems like he panics at the end of shot clocks and that sort of things. But Despite his uh, lackluster numbers, to put it kindly, I think that there's at least a, a, a style of play that's improving among Bielitsa, and it'll be interesting now that he gets more minutes with Rubio being out, and they'll rely on him a little bit more to carry a little bit of ball-handling duties in that second rotation. Uh, whether his numbers will improve or if the added weight and responsibility will cause his numbers to deflate even more, especially as his percentages go. Now, on the, on the topic of Towns' double-team plays and that sort of thing, one thing I've noticed that he was doing, especially in the first two games, is he was getting that double team, and he was trying to act before the double team got to him. One key thing, I think, that will help him and that he started doing on Tuesday, and I'm sure Tibbs got with him and told him to do this sort of thing, is he turned and he waited for the double team to come to him, and then he turned and faced the basket, or he kept his back to the double team and kicked it out at that point. And him being seven feet and as athletic as he is, he needs to let that double team come to him so that he can draw the defense and then initiate away from himself and then let the uh, offense flow. By passing the ball before the double team gets to him, he's not allowing the advantages that come with needing to double towns take place. And that's one thing I'm excited to see, if he can continue to do that, stack up the assist numbers, turn and face and maybe give him a pump fake. I mean, we saw he was able to split double teams and get that up and under two or three times against Memphis. Uh, if he can keep doing that against bigger physical guys, especially against OKC. What he is a better able to do to initiate offense out of that double team, are you with me that he starts drawing that double team? We're going to see his efficiency numbers go up, and then they can rotate back to him, get him open shots or low block numbers one-on-one -on -one down in the post? Absolutely. And and the thing that I don't think anyone has forgotten is that he's probably the, the most athletic big man in the league, aside from maybe Anthony Davis, you know, but those two will probably... For the next 10 years, it'll be the debate as to who's better, Anthony Davis or Carl Anthony Towns. But, you know, people forget that or nobody forgets that he is the the kind of picture of an athletic big man. He he does have that ability to drive the lane. You know, he has that ability to split double teams and take guys off the dribble and face up with them. And, and those are things that not a lot of big guys can do. And, you know, like you were saying, let the double team come. Are you really going to get a double team from a seven foot 
two guard? No, no. There there are no seven feet tall two guards in the league. So if that double team wants to come and they want to leave somebody like Wiggins or Levine open on the on the perimeter, so be it. You know, that's those are those are great shots, great uh, high percentage shots too. That you know guys like that would be taking. So I, at this point, you know the way that they're playing, the way that Levine, the way that Wiggins, you know the the way that they're shooting, I, I wouldn't have a problem with them taking those shots anyway. So. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I think he's got to just be a little bit more cognizant of just letting it come and then going from there because that's something that he's always he's always been an exceptional passer. We we know that much. So kind of give him that ability. I think if he just lets it lets that double team get to him and it really gives him that opportunity to to be a passer and to kind of see the floor a little bit better, I, I take that in a heartbeat. And I think it would absolutely help him be a lot more efficient. And when they get on those not twenty four to one style opponent runs. I think that's going to be one thing that's going to really help them avoid those types of things is he's going to Absolutely. he's going to be able to initiate offense, get other guys open shots. He's going to allow guys space to slash to the lane and get an easy two, which can break up a slump that otherwise might stretch to a 10-point run or a 12-point run for the or a you know, 10-2 run for the other team. And I also want to I'll be interested interested to see if they do more on-ball screens with Towns to try and get him in a little bit of motion offense and that sort of thing, especially as they go through uh, you know, periods where they're having a little trouble on offense, uh, especially when Levine's not on the floor. It, Levine kind of seems to be able to create his own shot, and he's been shooting well enough that he can break streaks a little bit. Yep. But w- when it's Towns and, say, Chris Dunn or Towns and Wiggins, to see if they can do a little bit of two-man game and that sort of thing, especially when other guys on the floor are having trouble uh, spelling, getting buckets on offense and that sort of thing. That has been an issue, too. I mean, throughout the first three games, you see those those periods where they just can't make a basket, and, and you'll see Wiggins try. Nope, he can't hit the jumper. Okay, Dunn gave it a shot. Nope, he can't do it either. Uh, Towns will settle for some really poor, you know, outside jumper that's maybe not the best look at it, but, you know, he's going to do it anyway. And he takes his shot, and he can't hit it. And then as you as as they continue to miss on offense, it's like their opponents continue to continue to hit shots. That's what happened when it was 20 to 3 in Memphis in the season opener and then they they went cold and they couldn't stop Memphis and Memphis started draining threes left and right and Sacramento they had an 18 point lead there and then they stopped making buckets and that's something that has to has to has to stop so so you were absolutely correct I mean a guy like Levine he's got that ability to come in create his own shot you know maybe get in the lane athletic some semblance of a dunk maybe you know kind of fire up the team get that energy going off the bench I mean that those are all things that guys like that can do we haven't seen it quite yet from Wiggins Uh, obviously again small sample size it's only been three games so you know we're not gonna write off the entire season for Wiggins say well that's Levine you know who's gonna have to be doing it but to have a guy like Levine be able to do that that has been huge and 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 as Carl Anthony Towns continues to become more efficient and stuff and as you know he continues to get better and improve uh, I think it's only going to help in that sense of of getting guys or ending opponent runs and and stopping avoiding the big collapses later on in the season. And I do think that's one spot where it'd be interesting to see if they got Wiggins down on the low block and do what Flip loved to do with him so much in that rookie year where he put him down and just let him go to work down there against guys who are usually a little bit smaller than him or less athletic than him. That's a good spot for at least he can get an e- and even if he misses the shot just to get a good look at the basket, maybe create some offensive rebounds and that sort of thing. I, I mean, there's time to see what Tib, Tibbs wants to do with his guys and how they're going to run systems like that. But it comes down to avoiding the 20 to four, 20 to six runs, and making them more like 14 to two, 14 to four runs. I mean, those are going to happen. It's basketball in the NBA. But I do think this is one area where they're missing a little bit of a veteran leader on on offense, and that 
maybe this is the one spot where Kevin Garnett would have been, not necessarily Kevin Garnett, or a player of Kevin Garnett's ilk, and that the veterans they do have are reserve guys. They're Rubio, who it's hard to really command uh, a presence on, on the bench when you're not doing a lot of the scoring, you're more of a facilitator, you're a more diminutive guy. I mean, if you would have had the 24-1 to run that they had against Sacramento, Kevin Garnett would have been in guys' faces, dressing guys down. And I think there are rare occasions where, especially among a young team, it's beneficial to have a guy like that, to fire him back up, get him to focus again, and not get down in the, you know, proverbially down in the dumps and that sort of thing. Who's going to take that leadership role? I don't I don't know. Maybe that has to be Tibbs's job until they get a guy next year or the guys grow up enough. And maybe Towns and Wiggins and Levine together develop into that. And I think Dunn has a little bit of that alpha dog personality. That Absolutely, yep. They'll team up to figure out who that's going to be. But that's what, I mean, that's the whole reason why teams like OKC trade for guys like Kendrick Perkins, the locker room guy, the on-the-court guy to kind of rally the troops when, when runs go against you and that sort of thing. So it'd be interesting to see who emerges as that guy. I can't really give you a prediction as to who it is at this time. Any predictions you got? No, and no offense to guys, you know, like Brandon Rush and Jordan Hill, but that's just not, not going to be that them it just won't be and you know a guy like Shabazz Muhammad is just that's not his that's not his style that's really not who he is you know you don't see him as the the fired up in your face type guy you know so so as much as maybe you'd want that to be the case you know you'd want somebody like Muhammad you want somebody like Wiggins you know to, to kind of step up and do that I just don't see it being in their style right now or it's not not in their personality to do it so you know, for now, they're going to have to kind of make do. And like you said, maybe it is Tibbs, you know. Maybe Tibbs is the guy that's got to kind of do that until guys like Towns or Levine or Wiggins develop and kind of mold into that leadership role. It's interesting that for as aggressive as Shabazz is on the court, as much of a bulldog as he is, he doesn't seem, he seems pretty quiet and reserved off the court. Very soft-spoken, yeah. So I want to quick touch on Rubio's injury. Anything you've heard, any updates that you have on his injury thus far? I haven't heard anything new. Uh, again, Tibbs is, is, in a lot of ways, he kind of gives Mike Zimmer-type answers. I'm sure if, you know, if, if you're familiar with Mike Zimmer, he's, he's very hush-hush about his injuries, and Tibbs is kind of the same way about it. Um, the most that he's said you know, in, in the most recent practices has been that he's day-to-day, he's day-to-day, he's day-to-day. So you know, they, the Wolves are saying it's not serious. The players aren't saying anything. They're just saying you know, they want Rubio back. They want him to get him back healthy. Um, but for now, all we've heard is that it's day-to-day. So, you know, and, and again, like you were saying earlier, it looked it looked like it was a pretty hard fall. It really did. And and the angle at which he fell, you know, how hard he fell, it just it didn't look it didn't look good. And they can say it's day-to-day. Maybe it is. That would be amazing if it's if it, if it were lucky enough to, you know, have it just be maybe a bruise or, you know, maybe it's just sore, whatever that may whatever the case may be. If it's if it's short term thing, that's fine. But if this is something that's going to hamper him throughout the season, or if this is something that they're going to bring him back, and then you know it's going to hamper him again, it's not worth it. So this is this is from everything that I've heard right now, day to day is is going to be pretty much the status quo at least for the next week or two. And you know, I went back and watched the uh, the fall a little bit, and it looked innocuous enough on video. But the amount of pain that he was in, it it, it did look like he might have mildly hyperextended the elbow. And you know, I'm playing a little bit of armchair doctor based on the limited orthopedic experience I'd have. But even mild hyperextensions can cause decent sprains of the elbow. And especially if Chris Dunn proves that he can take hold of the reins thus far, it doesn't pay to rush Rubio back. We've had trouble rushing Rubio back before. So I say, let him get healthy. Uh, If it is truly a pretty severe uh, elbow sprain, that those things can flare up, recur, cause accessory injuries with trying to recover from that coming back. So I don't think there's any necessarily any huge rush to getting him back, especially since you've got Denver and a couple of other 
uh, middle-of-the-pack teams coming up that I think it'll be good trial by fire for Dunn, if nothing else, and I guess that's a little bit uh, a little bit of rosy-colored glasses and optimistic way of looking at things. But he'll be back later, and for all the notion that Chris Dunn is going to Wally Pip Rubio, I don't think that Rubio's job is in danger once he gets back. He's going to be back with the rotation, and Dunn, again, will be captaining the second rotation. Yeah, and, and so far, I mean, to Dunn's credit, he's done a great job so far. Obviously, it's only been one game, but it's he's done a great job so far. You saw it at, you know, on Tuesday night. Hopefully, we'll see it again tonight against Denver. That's that's the hope anyway. Um, you know, I mean, and so far, you know, you look at Chris Dunn. He's averaging two steals. So, you know, defensively, he's doing well there. Offensively, just over seven points, just under four assists per game. So, I mean, there's the the... Overall sample size, although being small, he is doing very well thus far. Given that you know the the being a rookie playing in your fourth game, I mean it's 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 a good it's a good start for him. So you know I totally agree. If 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 Rubio's injury is going to be something where they're gonna try and rush him back, then I wouldn't. You know, especially given the way that Chris Dunn's playing. So you know if he if Chris Dunn continues to improve and continues to put up the the consistent numbers that he has thus far, then I think Rubio can sit, but of course, with that notion being said, of uh, he's his job is not in any danger. This is still Ricky Rubio's team when he comes back. I think it's worth noting. Tyus looked good. I I know it was mostly Wayne Baldwin that he was playing, who's not, but he he play he dominated for stretches of the game. Uh, uh, season opener last week, and Tyus Tyus took it to him. He played. I, I think he outplayed Wayne Baldwin for the majority of the time that they were out there together. And so, if, whereas it's the decade of the point guard in the NBA. It's not necessarily the decade of the backup point guard and that there's a lot of fall off for most teams. And if Tyus can play just representative basketball until the time comes, let him, by all means, let him heal. Yeah, and, and although he did play in, I guess, what some would consider garbage time, um, you know, 19 minutes, but he had six assists. I mean, if he, regardless of, of whether or not they're starters or bench players, those are still NBA players on an NBA squad. And to have six assists in 19 minutes, I mean, he's generating good offensive chances. And I think there was one or two times where he had, you know, good passes. I think they just kind of slipped out of bounds or, you know, just a little overthrown, underthrown, whatever it may be. Um, so he did have, you know, a few little things like that happen that could have potentially generated even more. So, you know, just the way that he's able to, I think he's a lot more comfortable, obviously, now in his second year. But the way that he's able to generate uh, offense, especially with the guys that he's got around him, I, I, I really like him for now. I'm really glad that I've heard, you know, obviously rumors that oh, Tyus is on the trading block and all that. You know, they want Rubio and Dunn. Greatest move so far has been keeping Tyus Jones around because he's he's proven that he can be a really, really good point guard. And although he'll never be Chris Paul, no, he can be a very, very solid point guard and a very good guy to lead the second unit until Rubio gets back. Yeah, I mean, he... He was impressive. He expanded the lead with the second unit against the game wasn't a, even a 25 point game at that point. He came in, led the troops well, which it, we haven't seen thus far either. We haven't seen our second unit come in and expand the lead. Usually the second unit spells the first unit until the first unit comes back. So. Right, and there were elements of the Grizzlies starters that were still out there at that time. He was crossing over, getting in the lane. He was playing faster than Rubio. I mean, Rubio is so good because he leads guys with passes. He passes them open. That's what he is so gifted at. But Tyus was doing things that Rubio doesn't do, that he was acting faster. He was getting in the lane. He was making those sharp first steps. He didn't shoot the ball much because he didn't have to because he was creating uh, offense in the lane, kicking out to open guys. Guys were hitting shots. Guys were getting out in transition. I, I mean, he's he's an underrated athletic player in that he can he can really move. He's lightning quick. Maybe that's you know because he's a more diminutive guy and he's able to just get lo uh, lower center of gravity quicker to the ground and that sort of thing. 
But, I mean, he looked good, and I've turned my shots at him as what he's going to be in the NBA. On defense, he's going to struggle against anybody who's bigger and quicker than he is. And if he has to play any sort of meaningful minutes against starters and representative point guards in the league, he's going to struggle. But against second-unit guys, I think he can hold his own, especially as he continues to get bigger, get physically stronger, that sort of thing. He's going to continue to get better, and it'll be interesting to see whether he's with the Wolves or not with the Wolves in the future, uh, if he's able to take that representative backup role in the league going forward. Yeah, and, and the thing that I loved about him coming out of Duke was his ability to finish at the rim, and that's something that we've seen from him still, despite being a smaller guy, too. So, you know, that was one of the biggest knocks on him was he's going to be a small guy. He can't get to the lane as easily as he did in college. You know, he's not going to have that space. He's going get, to get shots blocked all the time. And he's been able to to finish so far. We saw it at the end of last season. We saw it in the preseason this year. Obviously, again, he's only taken three shots on the season thus far, so can't really rule anything from that. But the fact that he he's been able to do that really it's it's very indicative of you know what kind of a game or what kind of an impact he can have, what he can do in this league. We just got to see more of it. That's all. Uh, last thing on the weekend review or the weekend change in review. Have you been surprised at how little Jordan Hill's gotten on the floor? Not really. No. I mean, I. I I like the way that Cole Aldridge has been playing. Um, obviously, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see just a little more from Jordan Hill. I think Jordan Hill is just a, a slightly better shooter than Cole Aldridge is. Um, but you know, the way that Gorgie's been playing and the way that the Aldridge has been playing off the bench, I mean, I I'm not really all that surprised. So. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. It's been just impressive how well Gorgie's been playing. And any minutes that Jordan Hill would have gotten, Gorgie has been pilfering those. He is actually second on the team to Towns in minutes by just a few fractions of a minute. And that he is uh, averaging 34 a game, whereas Towns is 34.7 a game. So that speaks to Gorgie in the past was more of a 26, 27-minute guy. So he's really making a jump into one of those elite players. And that transitions a little bit into the thing I want to review kind of to end it and wrap it up of – the Gorgie contract extension, uh, in case anybody doesn't know, he signed a four-year, $64 million contract extension. This week was the deadline to sign fourth-year rookies to extensions before they go to restricted free agency this year if they didn't sign a contract, which Shabazz Muhammad falls under in this coming year. Uh, rumor has it, just to touch on Shabazz, that they offered him a four-year, $40 million contract, and he turned it down, which I, from his representation, I can't really blame him. With the cap going up again, it's not out of the question that he would go get four years, uh, 48 million or three years, 40 million or something like that on the open market. You know, he's still a little bit of a pariah on defense and that he's aggressive, but he's kind of recklessly aggressive. He uh, over pursues guys and lets them go by. That causes them to rotate and get open shots from the three-point line and things like that. But he is uh, a, an energetic offensive player. He's kind of like a small forward version of Kenneth Farid. Um I don't blame him in his representation for going and trying to get a little bit more money in the offseason. But for Gorgie, he signed, a, again, a four-year, $64 million contract, which is spaced about 14, 15, 16, and 17 over those four years. And frankly, I think that's a steal for the way he's been Absolutely. playing. His improved strength, his improved rebounding, he's altering shots, playing better defense than he ever has. And to give you an indication, Timofey Mozgov was considered wildly overpaid, even in a, a bigger salary cap market this year at the same contract. And Gorgie Jang is leaps and bounds better than Timofey Mozgov at this point in his career. And he's going to get better because where Timofey Mozgov is an injured almost 30, uh, Gorgie is an emerging 26, 27-year-old. Are you as excited about how much of a steal it seems like Gorgie's four years, 64 is for the Wolves in the next four years? Yeah, and you know, I loved him coming out of Louisville. There was something about him at Louisville that just really kind of struck me. Now, I've watched a lot of Louisville basketballs, obviously, so that's something that, you know, you can kind of take with a grain of salt. But I really liked him coming out of Louisville. Thought he was thought he was going to be a solid role player. Didn't think he could necessarily start, but I thought he could be a solid role player. Maybe that, you know, big guy off the bench. 
and he has come in and completely exceeded expectations. He has cemented himself as the the power forward here on this team. Him and Anthony, him and Carl down down low there. I mean, that's that that's a heck of a duo. So I've I've loved the way that he's improved his shooting. His shooting has has gone up dramatically. And you touched on it briefly there. His defense has been much much better this year. Now he's still not getting the you know block shots and all that that you know everyone wants to see from a big guy. But the fact that he's altering shots is humongous. And he's really not getting burned on a lot of those rebound chances. You know if he's got a chance at getting the ball, he's been able to wreck, he's been able to reel him in so far. You see a couple of big a lot of times you know big guys will end up getting beat to the ball or you know they'll get out muscled or something like that, but it hasn't really happened to Gorgie yet this season. Obviously, you know I can, I can remember one or two that happened in uh, Sacramento, but other than that, I mean he has been a solid solid player and I mean if you wanted to if you really wanted to say MVP for the first three games, I would give it to Gorgie because he has been consistent on both ends of the floor, and he has really helped this team take that leap. So, uh, you know, I, I cannot say enough good things about Gorgie. And obviously, I mean, if you want to touch on it, that would be awesome. Kind of his backstory there, the the four years, $64 million contract, it's, it's the good that he does, the person that he is too. I mean, he's... He's a heck of a person as well. So, I mean, he's a great basketball player and a great person both on and off the court. So for those that don't know, he he was born in Senegal, and he continues to be well-connected to the community. He was brought over from a basketball academy, uh, originally played soccer, didn't start playing until the equivalent of his sophomore, junior year of high school, didn't start playing basketball, that is. And he continues to send a large portion of his paycheck back towards uh, public health initiatives, education initiatives, initiatives for kids back in Senegal. And I mean, this $64 million is huge for the communities that he grew up in, getting more people, lifting them out of the poverty-stricken areas. And so this contract could not have come for a a more deserving guy, both on the court and off the court. I, I don't know if you remember, but on draft night when we traded the Trey Burke pick to get 14 and 21, where we drafted uh, Shabazz at 14 and Gorgie at 21, the rave reviews weren't for Shabazz. They were for Gorgie Jang. And everybody was pat and flip on the back for getting Gorgie at that, that late stage of the first round and for what he could turn into, his length, if he could add a little strength and muscle, which he ended up doing quite rapidly, especially this year. Uh, he has really hit the weights hard. I've been very impressed because most guys that are as lanky as he is stay lanky, and he's really bulked up. If you remember, I think they had him ranked in a redraft as the fir- third or fourth guy in that draft, which at 21, excellent returns on him. He continues to be impressive in that he can space the floor out to 18 feet. He's even catching and shooting or stepping into shots on passes in that extended range. He's shooting in the 80% range. Uh, I think it's 88%. I don't have it in front of me. But from the free throw line, so he's making those count. On both ends of the court, he is continuing to improve steadily over time. You know, obviously he doesn't have the upside of a guy like Wiggins or Towns or the scoring ability necessarily of a Zach Levine. But again, you can only have so many guys that you want to score, 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 and block, block, block. He guarded DeMarcus Cousins for as much or more of the game as Carl Anthony Towns did because he can get he can kind of get leverage and get in front of him and alter even DeMarcus's shots and then allow Towns to roam through the paint and kind of help on that weak side. He can be the one who blocks shots because he's the more of the leaper or the guy who has a nose for the basketball more so than Gorgie does. And so he serves a valuable role in actually being principled, staying low to the ground on defense. And speaking of staying low to the ground, he was a bit of a fouler, especially through the first year and a half of his career. He's not he doesn't have any semblance of the ticky-tack bad fouls, reach-in fouls, that sort of thing that plagued him for a, a lot of the uh, initiations period for the NBA. So again, this is a contract that's going to a great guy on the court and off the court, and more so it's going to a basketball player who continues to improve 
And in the market that is the NBA, where guys like Jeremy Lin are getting $14 million a year, Matthew Delavadova are getting $10 million a year, Alan Crabb is getting $18 million a year, this is a steal of a contract. And this doesn't prevent them whatsoever from giving max offers to Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and giving Levine right up next to the max amount. I mean, we don't know how many maxes you're going to be allowed to give with the new CBA. But this is this is not a financially restrictive contract. And that might be part of why they didn't give or offer Shabazz more. They wanted to maintain the cap flexibility to continue to sign the more important guy or what they see as more important guys. And I would, as we wrap up, I think it's pretty obvious that you need to maintain cap flexibility over re-signing Shabazz. I think he's a valuable player off the bench, but I don't think he's a staple in this franchise going forward necessarily. Yeah, and I mean, it's no 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 offense to Shabazz in any way, shape, or form, but you know, I think if if it comes down to Shabazz or Zach or you know Wiggins or Towns, I. I I just see one of those three getting signed over him, and it's nothing against him. It's just it, it speaks to the talent that those three players have. So, um, but to close the book on Gorgie, um, just a quick quick review of his stats so far this season through three games: fourteen points, eleven rebounds, two assists, almost two steals, and almost two blocks a game while he's shooting seventy percent from inside the arc. I mean that's. That, that says it all right there. He is a complete player right now, and it'll be really interesting to see if those how those numbers fluctuate you know, throughout the season as he continues to get more comfortable in Tibbs' system and as he continues to get even better than he already is. Yeah, I can't argue. You know, any of the review of Gorgie to this point is overwhelmingly positive, and as to regressions, you know, maybe his shooting percentage comes down a little bit because he's shooting 18-footers quite a bit, and 70% from 18 feet is pretty darn good in the NBA. Yeah. But, I mean— in terms of long twos, at the rate he's hitting them right now, I'm okay with long twos, especially yep. since they're as wide open as they seem to be right now. All right, so let's wrap the, uh, this episode up. I think they take a win against Denver tonight. Denver, again, they've got depth, but they don't really have a superstar. Uh, Moutier, Moutier actually would scare me more against Ricky Rubio because he can kind of run through them, and he did during one game last year. I think Dunn is going to take every bit of physicality that Moutier has and throw it right back at him. I think he wants to get in that kind of dogfight. He, he really is a scrapper. He's a gambler. It'll be interesting to see those two go up against one another tonight. Uh, I want to see Wiggins lock down Gallinari. I think he's gotten better on de- uh, defense this year, but I want him to play a full however many minutes, 35, 38 minutes of defense tonight. And I think that throughout a 48-minute game, the Wolves will overwhelm the Nuggets. And Kenneth Reed just doesn't seem to be playing at the level he uh, was when he was torching the Wolves. Also, the Wolves have a lot better talent than they did when he was torching them. Uh, what do you see tonight against Denver? I see a win. I do. Uh, I think that you know they're gonna they're gonna face some tougher competition. It won't be a thirty six point blowout that you know they had against Memphis on Tuesday night, but I think they're gonna get a get a solid win here tonight, and uh, you know get back to five hundred before they head back on the road to take on OKC. I'm gonna make a bold proclamation here and say they beat OKC, and let me give you a couple reasons why. The biggest things that gave them trouble in Memphis and uh, Sacramento, especially when they wore. Uh, going on the bad runs, relatively speaking, was one, obviously long mental lapses, but two, made three-point shots and offensive rebounds that made, led to made three-point shots. They had trouble clearing the defensive boards when guys like McLemore would miss and then DeMarcus Cousins or Rudy Gay would get a rebound, kick out to McLemore, and he'd hit that next one. Or Ty Lawson had three or four wide-open three-point shots. Here's why I don't think that that's as big of a concern against OKC. They don't have anybody in their starting eight that can really shoot. Westbrook is still under one in three from three-point land. Oladipo is shooting very poorly from three. I think he's under 30%. Uh, Roberson doesn't even try right now. And Steven Adams and Ennis Cantor. I saw actually Cantor take two threes uh, against the Clippers last night, but he is not a threat. He missed both of them. 
you know, they didn't look too bad, but he's obviously missing uh, when he does take them. The key will be is if they can prevent Cantor and Steven Adams from getting on the offensive glass because they're both very strong on the offensive glass. And if you do, if you are able to box them out and get those defensive rebounds of the Wolves, as that is, you prevent Russell Westbrook from getting extra possessions, getting to the lane, getting out in transition, and that sort of, I guess offensive rebounds would be less about transition, but you just limit Russell Westbrook's opportunities and make him go, make him go 16 for 32, get on offense versus trying to guard Westbrook and a little bit of Oladipo on defense because Oladipo has been solid on offense. I mean, I don't think it's out of the question to say that they can give Oklahoma City a run for their money. I, I don't think it's out of the question, no. Um, it is It is a very bold proclamation because if they beat the Warriors tonight, they will be undefeated and a 2-2, two and two, well, potentially 2-2 two and two team going in to knock off the undefeated Oklahoma City Thunder in OKC would be absolutely fantastic and that would definitely make a statement across the league that the the wolves are ready to ready to play so um i I don't see it being out of the realm of possibility um you know like i think everyone who who even you know has a remote ear to the nba is is aware of the fact that russell westbrook is absolutely lighting up the nba right now he's doing it in all facets and he is a very 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 difficult player to stop but you know, aside from that, like you touched on, there really isn't a heck of a lot that's been impressive about them other than Russell Westbrook to this point. So, you know, we'll, we'll obviously have to wait and see, but I think given the matchups, if you look at each individual player, Westbrook might win the point guard battle right off the bat, obviously, but everybody else, I think the Wolves have the advantage there. So it's just a matter of whether or not they're going to be able to do what we, you know, obviously expect them to do, which is play well, you know, as a young core, get their get their shots going, you know, get that defense going. We, we Like we've seen through spurts throughout the season so far, you know, where they've played that really good lockdown defense and not fall apart. That's the biggest thing, too, is, is we've seen OKC go on runs so far this season where they can put up, you know, 10 points in two minutes and it's automatically, you know, they go from a two-point deficit to an eight-point lead. But if if they can avoid those those long runs, those collapsing moments there in the late quarters. I do do think they got a shot. Yeah, the uh, avoiding avoiding bad runs against OKC is a very valid point. All right, so I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Until next time, we'll uh, talk to you more about the Wolves getting it done or not getting it done against Denver and OKC. We'll bring it back to you next week. It should be early in the week, and hopefully we can talk to you soon about some Wolves Ws. Until next time, uh, I'm Zach. You can reach me on Twitter at, at ZK for Trey. That's Z-K-F-O-R-T-R-E. Alex, where can they reach you? On Twitter as well, at Alex P. Shun. That's at Alex P. Shun, A-L-E-X-P-S-H-U-N. Uh, we will be on iTunes hopefully within the week. Uh, those last stages are underway. Otherwise, until then, KFAN.com, we will start rolling out written pieces as the season gets underway. Uh, we've got a little bit of a retrospective on what it's like to be a Wolves fan, drafting in the lottery, bring you more gamer stories, hopefully some interactions with players as we go. Check out KFAN.com for all the Wolves stuff. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon, everybody. Stay classy, Wolves fans.